Hey, what's up, everybody? We're live at the Gray Zone. It's Max Blumenthal with American journalist, American financially sanctioned journalist, Wyatt Reed, who's our relatively new managing editor, helping me hold it down. How's it going, Wyatt? It's good. I'm here from an undisclosed bunker somewhere in Eastern Europe. Um, <clears throat> having having a, a, I'm actually not an undisclosed completely location. I'm, I'm in Belgrade with our new bureau uh, for the <laughs> next couple of days. And uh, yeah, I'm, uh, it's good. I'm, I'm glad to be here with you, Max. We don't actually have a Belgrade bureau in case anyone's taking that seriously, but uh, good to see you're out on the road and we'll hopefully be following your travels. Maybe you'll do some field reporting for us. Um, yeah. Seems like you're having a good time out there. Um, <clears throat> hi to everyone from abroad. What's up, Juan from Texas? David from Greece. Everybody uh, tuning in right now. I don't know if there's some other live streams competing with us. It's Labor Day here in the US. And when it's a holiday in the US, I basically don't notice because I don't have a real job. I just kind of exist on the margins, experience everything through a screen. And the only human interaction I get is when I go to Burning Man. No, that's not true. And so I have Ebola right now. Um, yeah, you can see, you can, you can tell there's a rash from, uh, I'm not sure if the other viewers are picking that up, but, uh, you know, don't drink the toilet water to all of our, uh, burning man followers. Someone says I look stoned. Uh, I don't, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, anti-marijuana. I think, uh, especially the, the, the like powerful crack level grades, but, uh, whatever. I mean, if you think I look stoned, that just means I'm, I'm naturally, I'm naturally high. I'm getting off on a natural high. Everything is iry right now. Um, oh, let me, let me retweet us. We're on Rockfin now. We're on Twitter. We're live on Twitter. We're going to talk about, obviously we have to talk about GoFundMe. We got to talk about the news out of the wall street journal about a proposal to permanently lock in ukraine aid despite whatever the u.s taxpayer may want um i think we can talk about some interesting neo-nazis showing up outside disneyland where we previously reported on nazis showing up inside disneyland with john stewart i don't know what it is about that place and uh, we'll see where it goes from there. Kind of, a, kind of a recurring theme in the uh, yeah. Disney. Oh, wow. Go fraud me. I like that. Well, they, they basically go fraud a lot of people. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll get to, uh, to talk about BlackRock. Not the BlackRock that makes home ownership impossible in the United States, but the BlackRock that uh, provides temporary shelters for celebrities and venture capitalists and marketing specialists and you know their urban cadre in the desert in nevada to sacrifice effigies it didn't black go rock so well city. this year black rock city it's just such an ironic name especially when an effigy is sacrificed to aid in ukraine because i mean well we'll get into it yeah 
Yeah, where we uh, we well, got GoFundMe, right? That's that's yeah. where we want to start. We're GoFunding ourselves. Um, We're GoFunding ourselves, so everybody knows, and many of you may have donated to our GoFundMe crowdfunder to provide a long-term position to Wyatt and the two other members of our Belgrade Bureau, Alex Rubenstein and Kit Clarenberg, our unofficial Belgrade Bureau, which um, doesn't actually exist. But these are three of our most dedicated contributors who've been really holding it down. And Wyatt's one of the, the few editors who can actually kind of write. Like it's hard to find people who can actually write, put sentences together. So he, uh, we need him. And we had raised over $90,000 in just a short period of time, just a really encouraging, inspiring show of grassroots support. And then it, it was frozen. I got an email from Sabrina. She said, this is frozen due to, this is her exact language, due to some external concerns and we'll get back to you. And look, if they had gotten back to me and said, either we need you, we, you know, here's some due process. We need to know like, what is this donation or something like that? Uh, I would have maybe kept playing ball for them, even though it's unfair. Or if they just responded to my message, threatening them with the wrath of our supporters and ourselves, uh, then, you know, I, I, I would have continued down the road with them and said, okay, we can wait a few days, but they never responded to me. And they, it, days went by. And this is yeah. after two weeks of fundraising and they hadn't right. notified any of you that your funds were frozen. Everybody thought their funds were going to support actual young independent journalists who were putting it on the line for the truth. And instead, and the question the money to me is, is, you know, what were they even going to do with this money, right? What was their intention here? I mean, I assume they were just going to weigh this out. They were just going to probably never get back to us, right? But long term, you know, I wonder, like, what are they going to do with this money that they tried to take from us? Hopefully, you know, and I, and I hope all of our supporters that, you know, were gracious enough to donate to us have reached out to GoFundMe um, to request a refund, right? Because we don't really know what they're going to do with this money, you know, and, and with the, you know, the Canadian uh, truckers, right. The, their whole kind of pivot was, well, we're going to give it to unspecified charities, um, presumably kind of charities that are opposed to your political perspective. Right. So we want to make sure that our supporters uh, get their money back uh, bare minimum because we don't want that money going to some, you know, uh, other undesirable cause. Uh, and we just, you know, we just don't know what it's, it's, it's going to do. So that's why we moved over to this new trustworthy website, right? Spot fund. Um, that's given yeah, us a written But just to continue, that, like with the chronology, sorry. I mean, that was one of our considerations because of what they did with the Canadian freedom convoy, the truckers who protested the mandates and lockdowns in Canada, where they actually seized the money from donors, $9 million, and then announced momentarily that they were going to just donate it to established charities without the consent of the donors. They had to be threatened by U.S. lawmakers because GoFundMe is a U.S. company into giving the money back. We were getting worried that they wouldn't actually transfer it and they would seize it. So we just told everyone to demand refunds we worked on auto refunding everything and i went uh and started another 
parallel fundraiser on spot fund after we and our, uh, our outreach director and our friend, Chris Weaver, who's really been doing so much hard work behind the scenes at the gray zone. He went and actually spoke directly to the founder of go of spot fund. And they said, yeah, we don't see anything wrong with you or what you're doing. It fits right in with what we want to host. So, uh, come on over and they, and, and, and they've been very trustworthy. So that, that was great. I mean, there are lots of alternatives to GoFundMe that are popping up and maybe this will make GoFundMe start to actually, um, be less censorious, but so far it hasn't done anything. So anyway, I, I went on Jimmy Dore. We hammered GoFundMe. Glenn Greenwald had me on. Uh, Nico House did a segment about this financial censorship. So many people, uh, you know, even people with smaller followings like Nuri Vitachi, uh, people, uh, um, Stefania Morizzi wrote a piece for it in Italian media. It was really exploding. It became kind of a, an international scandal because so many people use GoFundMe. So if it happens to us, it can happen to you. After all that, I we finally get a message from another sort of anonymous person on a form letter saying, uh, we are basically willing to allow you to pass our trust and safety vetting procedure. Would you like us to refund everyone or not? And by that point, we'd already had to go over to spot fund. And so we just said, refund the money. Yeah. And I mean, they'd screwed us over completely and sapped the momentum from our fundraiser. They even openly said it was due to external concerns. And we can talk about who those external concerns might be. And then after they started getting hammered and GoFundMe's brand was getting destroyed again. And this is the first time they've you know gotten hammered for uh, sabotaging an independent media outlet. Then they come to me and say, oh, well, is there any way we can work this out? But it wasn't an actual person. Like SpotFund actually connected me with their chief technology officer and another uh, high-level staffer, and th they were real people. Right. So GoFundMe Not got Sabrina. defunded. Not Sabrina. So, so GoFundMe got uh, totally defunded. And they screwed over Mint Press, our friends at Mint Press. Uh, actually, Minar... Adley, who founded Mint Press, told me don't work with GoFundMe, but maybe I was naive. And well, and they've been, you know, the same people who are now basically sanctioning me, right? You know, I've been permanently banned from PayPal and Venmo for my. Yeah, I was going to say why the, one of the reasons I went with GoFundMe was because PayPal and Patreon haven't really interfered with us, and we've had. Well, a they've done the same thing, but they did that to you. So tell and they've us done the same that. thing to Mint Press, right? Yes. They've done the same stuff. And to Mint TikTok Press. just banned Mint Press as well as uh, the Cradle, which is a site that uh, alternative site that covers the Middle East from an anti-hegemonic, anti-imperialist perspective. So, so you previously were financially sanctioned as an American citizen by American companies, right? And um, you know, this happened last year. Um, in June, then later in November, um, I was just kind of arbitrarily, I just got emails from these websites that said, um, effectively you are kicked off. They refused to explain it. Uh, they, you know, never, never really, uh, offered any explanation. In fact, uh, they specifically said that they wouldn't explain why, because they didn't want to 
disclose their their um, criteria for determining digital safety. Um, and I was I was actually kicked off uh, PayPal first, uh, less than 24 hours after I published the criticism of a guy named Paul Mason, um, I who was extremely close and has bragged about his ability to get people banned from these websites. Um, I just got this notice that says you can't use PayPal anymore. After a review of your account activity, we've determined that you're in violation of PayPal's acceptable use policy. As a result, your account has been permanently limited and you won't be able to conduct any further business using PayPal. And this uh, seems like, you know, what's the big deal? But PayPal is actually an incredibly prolific financial service provider. It's really kind of the one uh, sort of digital banking uh, platform that is used and honored worldwide. It's it's like if you can't use PayPal, you can't also use a host of other sort of secondary services that depend on PayPal as well. Um, yeah. So this is, yep. you know, it's really, it really is, you know, I've just been kicked off of this whole segment of, uh, 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 I mean, it's sanctions, right? It's micro sanctions. It's the same way that they, they do to countries that they don't like. Uh, they do to us and they get away with it by sort of dancing around this BS excuse that, oh, well, it's a private company and they can do what they want. Um, and, you know, obviously it's it, it really it, it doesn't go both ways, though. The private companies aren't allowed, you know, when Elon Musk takes away the Russia state affiliate labels. Yeah. It's like no longer. Oh, well, how how dare you? You know, but yeah. Uh, yeah, that's it's 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 honestly it's despicable, um, and it's not unexpected to me that they would do something like this to us at this point because of all the stuff that they've already done. Uh, but it is still just outrageous to me on kind of a fundamental le level, um, and it's it's not just going to be me, you know. Long term, the direction we're going is that uh, this could happen to really anyone who speaks out, um, you know. So there are plenty of ramifications that come with that, but I don't know that we need to get into all of them right now. Well, what happened with you is, you know, citizen of one of the countries that, or the country that is leading the sanctions regime that sanctions one third of the world. And it's mostly people in the global South, but also Russia and China, um, maybe more than one third of the world. And now those sanctions are blowing back in the West, people who don't, who, who, who disrupt the official narrative around that sanctions regime get sanctioned. And how do they get sanctioned? The government doesn't issue some notice like it does with Nicaragua or Venezuela, where the Treasury OFAC department will actually announce that it's sanctioning them and what it's doing. They get nothing. They just get uh, anonymous note from PayPal explaining absolutely nothing. As C.J. Hopkins, who's a German author we interviewed here at the Gray Zone, who's facing criminal penalties for the cover of his book and a tweet in Germany, facing 60 days in prison, as he said, uh, you know, totalitarianism is not a jackboot in your face. It's an anonymous Silicon Valley-based company quietly shadow banning, banning you out of existence. And that's kind of well, what's happening financially as well. And in no Germany, too. 
Yeah. It's Alina Lip, right? She's yeah. She's gotten her bank accounts frozen. She's a German citizen. Her for mother reporting from Donbass, has had her, her bank accounts frozen for trying to help send her money, which is what any mother would do. Right. And so, you know, it, it the line between the the private and the state is really it's barely there. We still have like this pretense of having it there, which is why we have to have these little pr public private partnerships. Um, you know, and this is something that uh, you passed this along to me. I hadn't seen before, but last year, the State Department announced in March, you know, just a few weeks after uh, Russia intervenes in Ukraine's civil war, they said uh, they announced that the Department of State's official global partnership has established a public-private partnership with GoFundMe.org to direct funds to organizations that are helping to address the humanitarian needs of those impacted by the Kremlin's aggression against Ukraine. And then they go further down, they say, please note that, uh, I like this, please note while recipient organizations identified have undergone due diligence, the department must disclaim any and all responsibility or liability for donor and GoFundMe transactions relating to this fundraiser. So basically admitting, you know, don't blame us when your money goes to Nazis. Um, <laughs> And, you know, so uh, or, even or effigies burning in the desert in Nevada for Burning Man. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And we'll get into that in a second. But just like I, I had to look up the the Office of Global Partnerships because I know I've heard of it before. Um, but just from the Wikipedia page for it, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Uh, they just announced they just described it. Uh, they said launched in 2008 by Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice. The Office of Global Partnerships self-describes as serving, quote, the entry point for collaboration between the U.S. Department of State, the public and private sectors, and civil society. So this is their way of, this is the, the groups, presumably, that are kind of taking uh, the initiative and the lead in terms of doing things like getting us banned, right? This is this is one of those groups that's, that's just out there in terms of uh, sort of directing the State Department's uh, initiatives towards civil society, towards the private sector. That's how they describe themselves. They're just the point man for uh, for basically conducting counterintelligence type activities on their own citizens. Uh, they're another vector of this where it's just, you know, the enforcement arm effectively. Yep. Yeah. And uh, so so that's who's that's who's partnering with GoFundMe. Uh, I don't think Spot Fund has a has a public-private partnership with the State Department. Um, if they did, we probably wouldn't be fundraising with them. Yeah, and just two other things to point to before we move on. I mean, you mentioned first Paul Mason. Everybody probably knows this who's watching, but Paul Mason is a journalist in the UK who took the lead on rallying left-wing support and labor support, labor party support for the proxy war in Ukraine, even led a rally of like fellow Trotskyist neocon types, like the right wing of the labor party and the union movement in the UK or, or in England on uh, bringing millions of dollars of British taxpayer money onto the battlefield, basically a boon for the British, whatever's left of the military industry in the UK as a leftist. And he's a security state collaborator. We exposed him as such. Kit Clarenberg took the lead on exposing him with leaked emails and leaked documents showing that he actually has a handler in the British foreign office named Andy Price. 
And when we talked about that, me and Aaron here at the gray zone, um, and I hope Aaron met his book deadline, by the way, um, we had our live stream removed by YouTube and we were threatened with a strike. It's the first time that's ever happened on the grounds of their harassment policy. When it was Paul Mason harassing us, we exposed him for planning to take us down uh, to have an anti-gray zone summit and prove that we're somehow Russian funded. Now people actually are seeing how we're funded. It's by our readers and they're still mad about it. Um, well, it's the thing, we don't have handlers. And, you know, I'm planning on traveling to Russia shortly. And it's, you know, in the United States, in Russia, I do not have some FSB or FBI handler. Like, we, that's just not what we do, right? Yeah, Russia's not and, paying for your trip and you just know people there. And you're, I mean, but, you know, going to Russia now is basically considered an act of treason by the Paul Mason types. But what I'm saying is he actually had the power through his handler, Andy Price, to go to, right. I mean, Andy Price actually talked about YouTube li liaisons he talks about, he talks to, um, to get people censored. And that's how this works. So if you're connected and you're a spook, you can go to these Silicon Valley companies and threaten them and they'll disappear people without any due process or them even being able to demonstrate who actually banned them, which was the state. And then we have the uh, case of Aaron Maté, our colleague at the Gray Zone, who had the, I mean, this is a piece Aaron wrote based on a Twitter leak. Let's see if we can pull up the email. This is an email um, by Alexander Kobanitz, Kobanitz, who's a FBI staffer, who is reaching out to Twitter on behalf of the Ukrainian SBU security services. So the FBI reaching out to Twitter on behalf of Ukraine to tell them to ban a list of accounts, including Aaron. Uh, Twitter said no, be, even this is in the pre-Elon regime, but they said no because it was just too much for them to ban American and Canadian accounts who were just stating their opinions. Uh, but that shows how the government functions, what the censorship industrial complex is. And it's how the whole apparatus of spook media works. They, they pose as independent, they pose as private companies, but it's basically a public-private partnership. And the public is the most unaccountable part of government that is nestled at, into the heart of the national security state, telling us what we can and can't say. It's a kind of totalitarian model that relies on the veneer, the patina of liberal democracy to operate. And most of the public has to believe that they still have freedom of speech and in a private realm uh, for this to continue to operate. If that veneer disappears, then they realize, oh, we're not any better than Russia or China, which just hard ban people without uh, pretending that the government isn't involved. And then we're no longer the shining city on the hill, and then the U.S. loses its soft power and its moral standing. Um, but exactly. that's what we're facing. Exactly. I mean, that's that's really the only thing keeping them in check at this point is their own sort of the Hollywood mythology version of U.S. Their continued need to project that to be able to have this kind of moral superiority that they want to project over the rest of the planet. Um, that's really all it is. You know, it's just kind of their own sort of mythology. That's that's it. 
Um, that's the only thing keeping all of this in check. And, and you can see that through exactly uh, everything you've just discussed, through everything we've gone through, through the sanctions, the micro sanctions that uh, affect us personally. Um, and it's also, you know, this just well, and police action. Sorry to cut in, but Kit for exposing Paul Mason, yeah. I, I think it's directly related to him exposing Paul Mason, security state collaborator Paul Mason. He was interrogated at Luton International Airport in London by British counter-terror police for eight hours about his work for the gray zone. So it's yep. not, it's state repression, it's financial sanctions, but it's also police actually taking you into a small windowless room and yep. going through your stuff. And they're open, there's their investigation into Kid, as far as I know, is still open. Yeah. Well, and it complicates his life, you know, it makes it that he can't freely travel back and forth to the country of his birth. You yeah. know, like he's, a, he's effectively live. a political refugee, right? And, and, and that's just, just for writing about the misdeeds of his government. He can't freely travel to and from his country. And, you know, when you say it out loud, it sounds crazy, but it's true. It's, it's, they, they have made him basically seek political asylum in another country to be able to just live a normal life. It's, it, it's a hundred percent true. The National Union of Journalists even condemned his interrogation and then withdrew their condemnation when they came under pressure from the spook journalists, the same spook journalists that likely inspired Kit's interrogation or triggered it. So he's not, he's, a, I mean, he, I he's justifiably afraid of returning home to visit his friends and family. Look at Julian Assange, what happened to him? He's in a prison cell indefinitely outside London for the crime of publishing crime of journalism so he's not they, even a whistleblower right they talk about no him he's a whistleblower he just no you know edward snowden no, he's a whistleblower right but well, no one's no one's there's none of the institutions that are supposed to stand up for human rights or uh press freedom or saying anything about what happened with kit none of them right. none of them because they're all controlled by the same elements that are sponsoring the censorship industrial complex but what we have seen is just such an encouraging outpouring of support from, you know, for our, 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 our friends in independent media, um, you know, Jimmy Dore and Glenn Greenwald at, had played such a huge role in shaking GoFundMe to its core. And, you know, Nico House and others helped expose this. Um, but there's just a grassroots outpouring of support for us, which is definitely going to allow us um, assuming everything goes as it's been going with spot fund to provide positions for Wyatt kit and Alex. And I'll just highlight our fundraising page at spot fund. Um, you know, if you want to help us get to our goal of 150 K that's really going to take care of it. Uh, for, I mean, and it's, it's, it's not a, you know, a major salary. This isn't like what journalists at the, New York Times or even the Nation right. magazine are getting paid. These guys are still living on a shoestring, but it's better than uh, what they've been doing. And it just makes us accountable to you. That's who we're accountable to. That's who we listen to. Um, so we're at 122,700 with over 1,300 donors. That's just hugely encouraging. And it shows what we've been able to do. Um, we can't do it without you. And thanks to everyone also who's donating to us uh, at um, 
PayPal and Patreon. I mean, I'm going, I'm not going to just voluntarily leave there until we're kicked off. So you're supporting us there too. And uh, we're just going to, we're, we're building uh, something much bigger than we've already been. And uh, I'm excited about where it's going to go. Yeah. So I mean, this you. is really, we're trying to take it to the next level, right? We want to just be able to double everything we've been doing. Um, and this is, you know, this, this kind of repression really just fuels us more. It's just, definitely okay. Every time you guys try to do this, we're going to come back and, you know, we had raised $90,000. Now we've raised $120,000. So for all these like trolls and NAFO types that kind of, uh, they all cheered that they got us taken off of GoFundMe or whatever. Um, it's just, okay, thanks. Well, you basically got us more attention and pointed and proved our point that we can't uh, freely declare our opinions in public without the threat of being deplatformed and sanctioned and removed from the conversation. And then how did our, our, our readers respond? Well, they just helped give us more money. We've, we've raised $30,000 more. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, shout out obviously to all of our supporters, but a shout out to our, our haters as well for also helping, uh, just just prove our point about uh, about everything about right? the system that the the sort of liberal democratic system and what really lurks behind the curtain they prove the point and uh, you know it's funny I mean all the NAFO trolls who want to get in our replies they're just bringing us more engagement on Twitter and Twitter now pays for engagement so I mean keep coming at us uh, at least online I mean I don't think right. But uh, I mean, we have to take it seriously. We, and yeah. what we showed was, you know, a lot of unity. Matt Taibbi also, uh, you know, brought me on Useful Idiots with Katie Halper. And these are, you know, people who may not ag agree with us on everything, but they agree with, with us on the fundamental point that this kind of financial censorship without any due process is completely unacceptable. So I think this is a momentary victory for our side. And uh, we're also at or almost at 300,000 YouTube subscribers, despite enormous suppression by the Google owned YouTube. Um, so thank you for that. And if you're watching this and you're not subscribed, make sure to subscribe and hit the like button because that does circumvent the algorithm a little bit. Um, but that's a, that's a major victory for us. I remember when we started and we started putting out work from the field, from Venezuela and elsewhere, Honduras, our numbers were surging. And then all of a sudden in March, 2020, they just immediately flatlined and dropped and the subscribers stopped coming in. Even as, for example, my Twitter account kept gathering followers. What happened in March, 2020? You tell me. What am I thinking? What am I missing? A pandemic was declared oh. and all of the yeah, new censorship the... rules came in. Right. Uh, and they were making sure that no alternative media could question them. Um, right. So, yeah. I mean, it was just it, 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 no coincidence. So we've been shadow banned since then or, or suppressed on YouTube, but we're still surging ahead because people want it, they want act truly independent reporting, particularly on the national security state. And so they're going to find it wherever they can. Um, so 
just another thank you to everyone. I think uh, we'll have we'll have Wyatt here for at least another two years until we're like uh, final, like completely defunded, and like uh, you know the FBI shows up at my house to seize everything. No, I'm joking, but we're gonna be funded by some kind of like new cryptocurrency that you know. I don't know. It, it's it's kind of weird to think about, but it it is genuinely a really difficult question that we have to think through going forward is just you know how do we just make sure that we can even get paid to survive and keep well i think for anyone in this economy if you if you can if you can participate it's important to diversify it is important to work in the crypto realm so i'm gonna start um figuring out i mean i thought about doing monero but finding the best way to allow people to donate with crypto um, just at, at least in terms of financial security, it's the best, even though crypt the crypto market might not be so stable. Um, but mm. we'll, f we'll find a way for as long as we can. And, but it really is just about producing quality journalism. And I think the rest will, yeah, it, it'll work out until we're hard banned. Right. Um, and I mean, I just think within the neoliberal model, a lot of these alternative sites are finding it lucrative to uh, create an, an, another platform for people who are banned because conservatives have been getting banned so hard since 2016 because of the rise of Trump and populism. Rumbles and locals and all these sites just have created a lucrative model. So it's kind of like the neoliberal system is making it, is, is taking care of itself and making it difficult for the state to conceal its hand. It's sort of a paradox of capitalism. Like that's eating itself kind of thing. Yeah. So I think ultimately they're just gonna have to shove the jackboot in our faces. But for now, thank you to Spot Fund and everyone here. Um, and let's try to get to that goal. Um, well, and it's, of, just, it's something yeah. that they wanna, I, I don't know if you wanted to pivot here, but it's something that yeah. they, they want to lock in permanently, right? Yeah. This, is, this isn't just, this isn't just us, right? This is kind of the entire system. And this is, I think, kind of a good segue to this story we were talking about earlier about how Biden is basically trying to prevent any future president from ending support for the Ukraine war, right? So our, our sort of democratic leaders are now going to uh, pursue this 10-year memorandum of understanding. I don't know if you wanna uh, break down this story for us, uh, it's, yes. Sorry, go ahead then. Well, yeah. I mean, speaking of anti-democratic anti-democratic measures related to Ukraine, this is antiwar.com sum summarizing a Wall Street Journal article. Um, you can feel free to to jump in, but basically the Biden administration wants to ram through a memorandum of understanding with Ukraine to prevent the US public from being able to voice its opposition to Ukraine aid. And CNN has reported, they reported in July that a majority of Americans for the first time oppose military aid to Ukraine. So here comes the, the desperate move that actually was planned for a while. Well, yeah, this and this, this summary on antiwar.com, great site, uh, Dave DeCamp, uh, excellent journalist, uh, it's worth reading the original Wall Street Journal article that's cited in here 
because it's just so kind of dystopian, like just the way that it's written. Uh, it sounds like a a child, a children's story. It sounds like it's written, you know, in the way that the cartoons from the 1950s about Cold War, about ducking and cover, it's the same kind of tone of voice that's extremely patronizing and condescending, um, but really ultimately just about manufacturing, it's very clearly about just manufacturing consent um, in a way that very few articles are really just this blatant about it. So I'll just, I'll just read some, some sections from it. Uh, it says, the Biden administration and its European allies are laying plans for long-term mili military assistance to Ukraine to ensure Russia won't be able to win on the battlefield and persuade the Kremlin that Western support for Kyiv won't waver, right? This is a, apparently a, a agreement that was reached um, at a G7 meeting uh, yeah. or, or le a meeting of G7 leaders at the NATO summit in July in Lithuania. Um, and they say about 18 non-G7 countries as well have signed up to the group's pledge to provide long-term assistance to Kyiv, including the Netherlands, Sweden, and other European countries. And what they're really talking about is they're projecting a popular move away from the parties that are currently in power because they see the writing on the wall. They realize that these sanctions that they tried to impose on Russia have boomeranged and have destroyed European economies, and they know there's going to be a reckoning in the next electoral cycle. And what they're trying to do is circumvent that, cut that off at the pass, and prevent the democratic will from being enacted in these countries when such a time comes. So they're going to basically just legally mandate that these governments uh, continue sending money even after the elected governments making that promise are out of power. So it's, it's kind of a way of ensuring sort of like their deep states can continue pumping money into uh, Ukraine, into BlackRock, into the most corrupt country uh, on, in Europe. Um, but, you know, the way they, the way they dressed it up, they dressed this up in the Wall Street Journal article is incredible. They say the goal is to make sure Ukraine will be strong enough in the future to deter Russia from attacking again. More immediately, Ukraine's <laughs> Western allies hope to discourage the Kremlin from thinking it can wait out the Biden administration for a potentially more sympathetic successor in the White House. Western officials are looking for ways to lock in pledges of support and limit future government's ability to backtrack. So they just, they, what they're talking about is preventing democracy from happening. They are talking about preventing people from being able to democratically decide what their money that they are taxed is spent on and just ensure that we have to spend it to Ukraine, no matter what. And uh, there were a few more, there were a few more fascinating kind of paragraphs in here uh, where they talk about, uh, they say without credible packages of support, Russia is unlikely to be, to be deterred from continuing the war. As, as though like, this is our only way of doing, we just have to, if, if we don't, get, send endless money to Ukraine, Russia won't stop. And, you know, who knows where they're going to go after Ukraine. And they say, they, they, they acknowledge though, right? They, uh, here's another quote, a basic political problem hovers above all these difficulties. Will current governments be able to effectively carve out and protect, mili protect military spending for Ukraine in future years when they may no longer be in power? You know, the horror, right? Nowhere is the answer to the question more uncertain than in Washington. European allies are already bracing for the possibility that Biden administration's long-term pledges will be weaker 
than hoped or too vague to offer credible deterrence against Russia. So it's, you know, this sounds like it was just written uh, in a basement in Langley somewhere after a few too many shots of whiskey because it's just so over the top. But it's, this is real, you know, this is how they are portraying this, that, you know, how are we gonna protect Ukraine from, uh, you know, the democratic will of our people? How are we gonna protect not Ukraine? Because if they wanted to protect Ukraine, they wouldn't be forcing hundreds of thousands of boys into a meat grinder. They would be forcing them to negotiate and make peace. Uh, but how can we protect, right, our, our weapons interests? How can we protect our military industrial complex? How can we protect this tiny little clique of corrupt elites in Ukraine that we installed after 2014? You know, that's really what they're, how can we protect those people from our people? Exactly. And Donald Trump is now up at 60% support from the Republican base, from registered Republican voters, according to a Wall Street Journal poll. That's following the fourth indictment. Republican voters are not only, they don't, they obviously see the indictments as proof of how the system is crooked and not how Donald Trump is crooked. And they see that there are partisan prosecutors. You've got Alvin Bragg, who literally campaigned on getting an indictment of Trump. Uh, they're, they're not, DeSantis's support is cratering. It's completely bottomed out. There's no one else but Trump. They've had all these fake neocon candidates come in just to try to divide the electorate and attack Trump. The, the George W. Bush Republicans are gone. They're gone. They might've even moved all into the Democratic Party at this point. The Democratic Party is deliberately courting them. Mike Pence, Nikki Haley, they will work with the Democrats against Trump if he gets the nomination. But the point of this memorandum of understanding is to prevent if Trump somehow gets into office, if they fail to get him decertified from the ballots on the basis of these indictments, they're not going to allow him to end the war, which he's promised to end in 24 hours. And it all flows into what Zelensky proposed in April, obviously with a lot of nudging from the U.S. national security state, which is the plan of a big Israel. And I just um, spoke at the Ron Paul Institute's annual conference alongside Anya Parampil, uh, Douglas McGregor, and others. Ron Paul spoke about uh, his opposition to the, he spent a lot of time in his speech on his opposition to the Vietnam War. Um, but uh, I, I, I talked about this plan of turning Ukraine into a big Israel. So hopefully the video of that will be online soon. And the, the MOU is at the center of that because Israel has memorandum of understanding with the US that lock in its so-called QME or its quantitative qualitative military edge over its neighbors, something Ukraine will never get against Russia and ensure it at least $4 billion of aid a year. And while Congress goes along with it and would continue to go along with it because it's all about the Benjamins and APAC is supplying them, this is something that happens without any input from the U.S. taxpayer. And that $4 billion goes straight back to Colorado and Texas and Arizona to the arms manufacturers. It's a boon for the industry of one of the few productive industries in the U.S. that's in a, in a completely financialized economy. It's really the last so thing that we still manufacture, right? Yep. And then you have Ukraine. Well, it's a great opportunity there. It's 
the Ukraine proxy war has been responsible. Just in 2022, Lockheed stocks were up 20%. Um, the, the defense budget is at, is at its highest point, uh, factoring in inflation since World War II. So they want to lock that in. And that's what big Israel's all about, along with uh, consolidating a kind of ethno-nationalist society uh, where children are propagandized into hating the enemy and everybody's militarized and everyone's conscripted into the military. Yeah. But it will, it will be a boon for the arms industry forever, along with the tech industry. I mean, we talked about the DIA app the state in a smartphone app that also includes this app called e-enemy where right. ukrainians can actually snitch on their russian-speaking neighbor in addition to getting their digital id making transactions and providing their vaccine passport in one app um, ukraine will do will, will will ignite the world of spy technology as big israel and you One. watching this will have nothing to say about where your money goes because it's going to go straight there. Exactly. And it's we have to and it's not just protect Ukraine, really. It's what it is, is we have to launch a permanent insurgency in Russia because that's what the Ukrainian war effort has devolved into is just terrorist tactics. We're just going to have cells of uh, Russians that hate their government who are used to launch these drone attacks into their own city. Um, I mean, imagine if, if, if Russia had had put Al Qaeda cells all over the United States and been propping up, you know, 9-11s. Oh, they didn't do that. Our own, you know, it was the CIA. Oops. Yep. Um, yep. And, you know, they would be war. It would be war, obviously, if Russia did something like that. You know, they, yep. they, they, they tried to claim that Russia was putting paying the Taliban, putting bounties on American soldiers. No, that's literally what we are doing. And we are targeting, we are, and we have acknowledged this now, that the, 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 the State Department basically offers, I mean, it's not just the funding and the training and the arms and the money, right? It's, it's, they give them detailed intelligence reports identifying targets, right? And, and they, are, they are tapped into the United States intelligence network that is basically has eyes everywhere, can listen to anybody's phones at any time, you know, has this massive satellite network. Uh, it really, it's it's unthinkable when you when you say it out loud. It's just, you know, that's what this is about. This is about sponsoring a 10-year terrorist campaign in Russia to inflict terror on their population, to destabilize the government, to make people psychologically uh, more frail, to, to, you know, to try to get them to overthrow Putin, I guess, or to... You it's know, what the U.S. did uh, during the Soviet Union. It's what the U.S. did, for example, sabotaging the Trans-Siberian Pipeline, which was the right. subject of it, Tony Blinken's thesis. Uh, but there are so many acts of sabotage that happened under the rubric of containment, as spelled out by George Kennan. This, he, he put forward the pressure cooker theory, that if the Soviet Union was put under enormous pressure, its society would degrade. Uh, the government would become more, the state would become more uh, repressive and it would have to siphon money away from social programs into military industry and military readiness, thereby fomenting uh, dissension among the public. And so that's what the U.S. is trying to use Ukraine for. It's what the purpose of Taiwan is with China, along with Japan and the Philippines is, is containment. 
But what is Ukraine? What will it be? It won't be actually a big Israel. It will be resemble in Israel in many ways, um, especially internally. But it Israel has um, survived and grown partly thanks to the ability, uh, well, the, the, the time that it developed during the Cold War, the uh, lack of unity among Arab nations, the fecklessness of their leadership and corruption, for example, um, the, and, 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 and the, the connivances, for example, Sadat selling out Hafez al-Assad uh, during the 73 war so that Egypt could be the only negotiator at the table at Camp David uh, when it began in 77. So Israel's benefited from that. Ukraine doesn't have the same advantage. Russia and China are firmly united on this front. Russia's military industry is really second to none in the world when it comes to producing munitions, and that's what's winning the war. So uh, they're not they're not going to be like a big Israel. I think that they could be kind of like a combination of Taiwan, like a repository for U.S. military aid and and money laundering that just comes back to the U.S. But a cross between Taiwan and ISIS, maybe like white right. cis. As you were saying, Wyatt, because they can't really compete with Russia on the battlefield. And as their army is increasingly degraded, their regular army, they're going to resort more and more to drone attacks, long range rocket and missile attacks on, on civilian targets in Russian cities, as well as these kind of partisan attacks in Crimea where they'll land boats and do some sabotage, try and blow up the Kerch Bridge. And they'll just they'll just keep doing that and keep pushing Russia for the next 10 years. It's, it's not a. They're going to be doing what they did to Eastern Ukraine since 2014, right? Yeah. Which is just, just trying to terrorize them and make their life miserable, um, because they don't have the ability to, to militarily win back these people. It's not really about winning back these people, right? The the citizens of the Donbass, the Russian-speaking people who who hate, quote unquote, their own government this government that claims to represent them but doesn't obviously you know they didn't vote in the last since 2014. um it's really about it's not about them it's about how do we get these people off of this land right because the donbass is uh according to i believe cnn reported this uh sitting on about 12.7 trillion dollars of mineral wealth in terms of natural gas in terms of coal uh you know Don, like that's what Don Bass, kind of the name comes from the 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 basin uh, of uh, this coal mining uh, area. That was kind of what powered Soviet steel production. Uh, the ability to have all this massive amount of of coal coming out of the uh, Donetsk area, and so really, it's about kicking off all these people, getting them to flee. That's what they've been trying to do since 2014, get them to flee yeah. this yeah. land so that they can come in and take it over and sell it off to BlackRock. Which they've already done with like the Carpathian Mountains and all the farmland, the rich farmland in Ukraine. They sold yeah. it off to Monsanto, Dow, and they're owned by BlackRock and Vanguard. So exactly. Right. And well, and, and it's all, yeah, so, so this is what we're locked into sending our money for, you know, trying to lock us into sending money no matter what Trump does or says. Even, even if they are not able to find some legal way of preventing him, sending him to jail so he can't participate in the elections, if he somehow runs the gauntlet and actually may, manages to win, 
you know, they want to prevent that from affecting the the BlackRock Ukraine money laundering scheme, the endless feedback loop of money laundering. Um, and they, they want to be able to send it uh, to people like uh, Kent Boneface McClellan, uh, this <laughs> Nazi that appeared uh, in Florida yesterday or two days ago, uh, screaming Slavi Ukrainian and doing a Sig Heil salute uh, as the Nazi leader in front of him uh, the Nazi blood tribe, uh, the, the leader is named Christopher P uh, Polhouse, uh, as he says that Biden's better than Trump because he sends rockets to Ukraine. Uh, this is who they're sending money to, guys like Boneface. Uh, you know, if, if it's worth pulling up a picture of this guy if, if viewers haven't seen him before. Because well, they're, yeah, they're, you know, I don't, I don't know what Boneface's true relationship with the U.S. was, but he appears to have fought with right sector and probably Azov after the 2014 Maidan coup. And he showed up outside Disney world. I was, no, this was a separate Nazi rally. You're conflating okay. the two Nazi rallies. This one is, I think in, uh, I think this, they're a separate Nazi rally, right? I might be getting confused here. Okay, these well, guys are not at Disney World. These guys well, are on overpass in this video. They, yeah, they did separate rallies, but this is in Florida. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, anyway, it's illustrative of something within uh, international neo-Nazi world. These guys were, uh, Boneface was supposedly recruited into Ukraine through the Misanthropic Division, which is a Ukrainian neo-Nazi group. Anyway, here, this is- been a point man in the United States for a time. Yeah, and there. this is gone. This exchange has gone viral. Um, Christopher, there's a presidential race going on right now. Are you going to vote in 2024? What do you think is going to happen? My vote this? is useless. I think Biden's better than Trump because he sends rockets to Ukraine. <laughs> there's Boneface yeah, behind him right there. Support of Ukraine, you mean? Hell Ukraine. Hell Azov. Slav Ukraina. Hell Azov. Tell me this, Christopher. If I can send your fucking train on, you fucking reborn slave! So this is who your taxpayer money is going to for the next 10 years. Okay, so, I mean, they look like, it looks like a complete clown show. I don't blame people for calling them glowies. It might be like they're heavily in, they're obviously heavily infiltrated by feds. Uh, but that doesn't mean that that's not real or that Boneface didn't fight with neo-Nazis in Ukraine, fight with Azov and that, that he's been in and out of prison constantly. I think, you know, for, he was sentenced to initially for, uh, attacking minorities in Florida or a plan to attack minorities. And then he fled to Ukraine, but he's back somehow. What's going on? Yeah, here? well, he apparently, apparently, yeah, worked with Azov and has even talked uh, apparently about about uh, fighting alongside the Tornado Battalion, which is just the most horrific group of men, like yeah. committing the most unspeakable crimes. Things that I just like, I like, don't want to say out loud, you know, because it's just horrible to think about. Well, they were all uh, jailed in Ukraine, even under the post Maidan government. Because because what they did was so heinous, and then they were all let out at the beginning of the war. I mean, you hear so much about Wagner mercenaries being 
uh, all just jailed convicts who have been let out into the into fight in, in Bakhmut, uh, who are just these repulsive thugs. But then you have the tornado battalion in Ukraine under Zelensky's orders were let out after doing things to kids that we don't even want to talk about here. Um, so he fought with them. Now he's rampaging around in the streets of Florida. And what's his name? Christopher Polhouse. Yeah. Said, you know, at least well, Biden is sending rockets to Ukraine, but he doesn't and, support you know, and either Biden or Trump. It bears repeating. If this guy fought with Azov, he got American guns. He got American funds. Yeah. You know, if he fought with Azov, the Nazi battalion, Ukraine's official uh, Nazi regiment now, uh, then he was being supplied with U.S. taxpayer money. And that's what your money is going to. It's, it's, it's that simple. People like that. That's who you're paying. And they make all the, and they scream and shout about Nazis in the United States. As frankly, you know, I think there is a problem with Nazis. And my main problem is these guys right here that are getting our, our tax money, right? Who are getting seemingly, yeah, it's, it's, it's bizarre. How did this guy even get to Ukraine? How did he get back? He's not, he's chronically underemployed as any man who looks like that would be. Yeah. Right. So how is he, how does he move around? These are all kind of open questions. Um, and I think, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to connect the dots until we have the evidence to do it, but it kind of speaks for itself. Yeah. I mean, Alex Rubenstein's written about other neo-Nazis involved with the misanthropic Craig division, Lang. like, or Adam Waffen, Craig Lang. Uh, and then there was another one who Craig Lang was actually a murderer who killed a couple, robbed a couple and killed them in Florida and then was able to get to Ukraine with their money. So, so now he's, you know, living life, right? <laughs> like, well, he's benefiting from our, our tax dollars. Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, this is um, last year after the war began. This is ABC. Army vet charged in Florida double murder may remain at large in Ukraine, referring to Craig Lang. Yeah. North Carolina it, native it, Craig Lang. Should North Carolina native Craig Lang depart Ukraine and return to the U.S., he can immediately be taken into custody by federal authorities. Lang, a 32-year-old U.S. Army veteran turned murder suspect who previously moved to Ukraine, is one of two former soldiers accused of killing a husband and wife nearly four years ago in a parking lot after they traveled nearly three hours to respond to an online firearms advertisement. So basically, he tricked them into thinking that he could buy they could buy guns from him, and then he killed them and took their money and then fled to Ukraine. And he's, but the thing is he's fighting in Ukraine. They don't really mention that at the top of the article and he's right. clearly benefiting. He's fought in the um, Georgian Legion, I believe. Mm, I'm not sure about that. He's definitely fought in Azov, but yeah. uh, you know, Azov has been rebranded as the third regiment. Uh, Andrei Boletsky, the neo-Nazi founder of Azov, recently received an award, a commendation from Vladimir Zelensky. Um, in been, person. In the U.S., the Anti-Defamation League has said that Azov is not a problem um, and that they're fighting the real 
uh, enemy, which is Russia. So we're not going to, we're, they're basically no longer. They've been fully rehabilitated. They've re, their ADL is rehabilitating them. Yeah. The ADL told Alex Rubenstein that they no longer consider Azov to be a problem. In a, the in a, group whose founder and current commander said that the goal, you know, the purpose of Ukraine is to lead the white races in a final crusade against the Semite-led Untermenschen. Uh, that's how he views his place in the world. Uh, and, you know, he's pals with ostensibly Jewish Zelensky, um, the man who found out he was Jewish on February 24th, 2022, um, and has never let us forget it since. So anyway, give your give your money, continue to, well, let's sign the MOU through Biden, the Memorandum of Understanding, so we can no longer oppose sending our money to U.S. neo-Nazis embedded in state-sponsored battalions in Ukraine. Guys like Kent Boneface McClellan, killers like Craig Lang, fighting with U.S. weapons on the battlefield for, for the, another generation. And, you know, do you remember in 2018, I believe, uh, let me just read this, this press release from Ro Khanna's website, 2018, uh, he uh, actually read uh, an F, led an effort to prevent the U.S. government from arming Nazis in Ukraine. Um, and this was... Yeah, 2018, he said, uh, white supremacy and neo-Nazism are unacceptable and have no place in our world. Uh, he described himself at the time as an outspoken critic of providing lethal aid to Ukraine. Uh, he said, I am very, this is how his own website describes him in a, in a press release. He says, rep uh, says Representative Rokana, an outspoken critic of providing lethal aid to Ukraine. Um, I am very pleased that the recently passed omnibus prevents the U.S. from providing arms and training assistance to the neo-Nazi Azov Battalion fighting in Ukraine. So this was at one time uh, a fairly popular idea. Hey, we shouldn't send weapons to Nazis. Um, you know, this is kind of in the consensus in the United States post-World War II there's been kind of this idea, like actually arming Nazis is a bad thing and we shouldn't do it. Yeah. Um, but now well, that's then, all changed. Yeah, it all and, changed. And I caught up with Rokana right when the proxy war started. And here's what he had to say. Because of the sanctions, uh, inflation's going up and that's all to fight Russia. I mean, that's the message Biden and his people are sending. Don't you think, I mean, well, don't, don't, well, do, do you think Americans, what, 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 what skin in the game do Americans have for Ukraine? Americans have the skin in the game to stand up for freedom, to stand up for human rights. We've always done that as a nation. And we want to make sure that uh, we stand up for Europe and, and, and NATO. And we stand up to bullies. I mean, people see on television Putin Sorry. killing uh, children, killing mothers. I mean, it's horrific. And we as an America, we are the greatest nation in the world. We've always... So stood up for freedom we stand up for human rights so raising inflation and raising oil prices for freedom i, I mean, don't think that's co connected i think the reason that people are paying five bucks at the pump and six bucks at the pump is because these big oil companies are profiting billions of dollars prices are already going up massively because of the sanctions well it went on with
me uh, asking him about aid and he said, send in the stingers, et cetera. I just caught him on the street at the time and I should have really right. asked him about his legislation to defund Azov. So I wasn't right. as prepared as I should have been. But the point is he sounds like a Reagan era neocon, freedom, NATO, we need to fight Russia. He completely reversed what he said. He totally yeah. sold out. And by the way, is John Conyers, uh, who like went down in some Me Too scandal before dying, who started the fight to uh, ban U.S. funding of Azov. But that's all off the table now. It's all over. And uh, the American well, public, though, is turning against this. And I want to well, like what I'd like to ask him if I see yeah. him is, you know, how is it standing up for human rights and free? Are, is how is how is that? Sorry, by sending guns to Nazis, that's how we stand up for human rights and freedom. We need to send guns to these guys you explicitly said were Nazis and you described yourself as an outspoken critic of support to aiding Ukraine. Like what changed? You know, it's just, it's really, you know, I just, it, th these people represent nothing. They stand for nothing. They'll say anything. He didn't understand really why he did this in 2018 because he didn't understand the geopolitical connotations. He didn't understand what was at stake, what would happen, the long-term war that the neocons had been preparing for for decades with Russia. Yep. Yep. He didn't realize what was happening and so he just accidentally took an anti-Nazi, an inconvenient anti-Nazi stand when he shouldn't have, right? And that was something happened, obviously he was briefed in the time since and I'm sure immediately following the invasion he was he was told i'm sure in no uh you know in, in very uh clear terms you know you can no longer oppose nazis in ukraine the same way that the liberals and the squads were very clearly told by someone after they put out this milk toast letter uh for less than 24 hours before retracting it where they had urged biden to pursue diplomacy with russia yeah. uh it's pretty clear, you know, he was just, okay, you were told and you were told to pat it on the head and told to sit down and be quiet and uh, be a good boy. And you decided yeah. to do it. This war needs to go on indefinitely. It big Israel needs to be created in Ukraine, get out of the way. And they were threatening them with contributors. They were threatening to prime, who knows, they're threatening to primary them. They were basically, Biden himself may have been calling them. But they all and they all backed down. They all showed what little cowards they were. And Rokana, you know, more than AOC or anyone in the squad, has national political potential. He wants to be the next Bernie. And in many ways, he will be kind of like trying to sheepdog progressive lefties back into the Democratic Party uh, as the US public turns against funding the proxy war he'll still be pushing for it. Although he has recently, more recently started to kind of call for negotiations. I don't think they can hold the line forever. It's starting to look desperate. And just on that note, one of the, there are these new neocon lobbies coming into the picture, moving to the fore to try to maintain aid for Ukraine. And they're just sort of the usual suspects. Like uh, here's the Washington Post on John McCain, the John McCain Institute, fight carrying on his fight against trumpian isolationism the late senator's institute has taken the lead among outside groups trying to keep his worldview relevant especially in ukraine's fight against russia and it's so funny i mean if you actually just look at what this really is 
it's not the John McCain Institute. It's the the donors to the John McCain Institute who are making a literal killing off this war. Here's the McCain Institute's list of founders, funders. And I mean, there's so much to, there's, it's, it's very revealing, but here's one that people might not be that familiar with the BGR foundation. They're lobbyists for the arms industry. It's the, it's a lobbying wing of Raytheon. So it's the, the people who lobbied for the Javelin missiles to be authorized starting under Obama and the former executive director of the McCain Institute, Kurt Volker, who then went and became like the uh, liaison to Ukraine under Trump in one of these moves where the deep state comes in and like makes sure Trump can't operate. Uh, he was uh, on the board of the BGR Foundation. So, I mean, the conflicts of interest are so obvious. But I mean, if you just, oh, here's Paul Singer. He's, I think, funding Nikki Haley's campaign. He funded mm. all the neocons. It's all, um, and the, the, the Saudi government is in here. Um, Open Society have, Foundations. Yeah, George Soros personally giving money. But then here you have Raytheon Company. They're just directly there. Okay, so they need, it's not like some vision of John McCain, like the great maverick hero had a vision of freedom. It's like lobbying. Oh, there's Mikhail Khodorkovsky is right down there. Yeah, well, there you go. And the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, yeah. it's all it's all the same people, right? It's all the same people we've been talking about. Yeah, Kartakovsky, for those who don't Black know. Rock, Black, Black Rock is there. <laughs> Black Rock Incorporated. Okay, so you they're know. fighting to save John McCain's vision, which is to make tons of money for them through a and war. And there's SpaceX, too, you know, sending... Uh, yeah, Elon. Giving Elon satellite internet them. to the Ukrainians. The Maverick Elon is funding the McCain Institute. Taiwan, they won't yeah. war well, they won't war with China. Or at least just more money. Oh, here, here, Northrop Grumman, another defense contractor. Yeah. Everybody's there. Yeah. JP Morgan. Yeah. The Lauder <laughs> Foundation, Ron Lauder, huge uh supporter of Israel's settlement enterprise and Netanyahu. Oh, and so, there's I mean, Palantir Technologies as well. Palantir is uh involved is gotten contracts for targeting for the Ukrainian military. Yeah. It's a spy tech company. Yeah. Run by Alex Karp, who was at the recent Bilderberg meetings with NATO chiefs and you know all the five eyes officials. And yep. uh Palantir is also involved with West Exec Advisors, which is the consulting firm founded by Tony Blinken to bring contracts in for their clients in the tech industry through the Pentagon and State Department, which just shows how this whole mafia operates. And, you know, here's something that's just so funny and so revealing. Um, the, ex the new executive director of the McCain Institute is failed congressional candidate and longtime anti-Russian hardliner Evelyn Farkas. Uh, and so Evelyn Farkas is continuing McCain's legacy. But here she is in Ukraine. This is her to the center left on a wearing a literal Burisma jacket on a Burisma sponsored trip to Ukraine when she was at the Atlantic Council with former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, John Herbst. If, I mean, if you want to see the corruption, the heinous corruption of the Biden cabal on Ukraine and how and, and, and the John McCain cabal. I mean, they're all kind of interwoven. 
here it is. She's literally wearing a Barisma jacket. Like Barisma gave her the jacket. Right. And this is this is all part of the campaign to get the investigation by the Ukrainian government off Barisma's back. And they were paying Hunter Biden at the time. And John and and Joe Biden was getting awards at the Atlantic Council when they were funding the Atlantic Council with like 250000 or more per year. So that's the McCain. That's that's who's lobbying for the war. It's completely corrupt. And then you have the press. And here's an exchange, Wyatt, that I think perfectly symbolizes the role of the Beltway press corps in this whole saga, whether it's Hunter Biden and the Hunter Biden laptop and Burisma to all of the corruption pouring out of Ukraine. Their job is to, well, just watch and you'll see what their job is. This is Philip Bump who's one of the major Washington Post columnists who kind of poses as like a fact checker to set the record straight. And he's talking not to a fellow journalist, but to Noam Dwarman, who is the director of the Comedy Cellar in New York. What do you take from the text message to his adult daughter, uh, Hunter's text message, that I have to give 50% of my income to Pop? I have no idea what that means. I don't. I have no idea what that means. Well, it's, it's, I have no idea what that means. What could it possibly mean? I have to give 50% to pop to the big guy. I don't know what who, that means. Who could possibly know what that means? Not a Washington post columnist. It's, 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 I know it's circumstantial evidence and you prefer that. No, what, what, what could it I, be? I have no idea. But doesn't it, I don't know. Well, did, I appreciate that, your, has appreciate anybody, has me. anybody asked her? I, I don't know. I don't know. Don't you think somebody should ask her? Okay. Like I, I'm not, I just said, I don't know. And I don't know what to make of it. <laughs> should someone ask her? Aren't you a reporter? <laughs> maybe a journalist perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. But doesn't it say? Yeah, but you say there's no evidence, no evidence. But then there's a text message where he says, "I give Pop fifty percent of my money." That's that's evidence. Okay, well, what? Okay, fine, fine. So <laughs> that's evidence. I appreciate you having me on. It doesn't. It, that <laughs> something like that. Who do you think is being more? I I listen to that. I'm saying. Am okay, I? Am I? Okay, what, you, you can you, I, think, I feel like you want me to leave, like just walk out in the middle of this because you can that go. way you can you like. Can, you can go. Right. Is this a standard? Really, this is the way the Washington Post handles people who disagree yeah, when with I, them. When I agree to be on for 45 minutes, go, go, and then go. I get on for an hour and 15. Yeah, go. that after a while I go. go. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I mean, he he get and then he gets indignant about being asked about high level corruption. Right. And then he's just, he throws up his hands. He literally throws up his hands. How could I possibly know? What do you, wait, what do you expect me, a journalist, to go ask questions to these people that I cover? You know? Well, the Republicans are bringing these documents out that show actual communications between the Biden family stating, I have to give 50% to the big guy. So I don't know anything about it because Republicans, because James Comer is subpoenaing these documents. So... What do you what do you expect me to know things that I'm writing about? You know, <laughs> but I'm going to keep writing. He Philip Bump writes about this Hunter Biden stuff all the time, but he doesn't know about this. He doesn't want to know about it. Isn't right. supposed he, to he, know about it. You can watch him shut down. He like literally shuts down and rather than even consider addressing the question. He just you, you see you can see cognitive dissonance in a real time. Just like his mind, his mind being unable to compute, unable to just process or function normally because he just, you know, he would have to admit that basically everything he's saying is bullshit and that he does, you know, he's a hack and a fraud and he's not even good at his own job that, you know, he lectures everybody else about. Uh, well, he is good at his job, Wyatt. He's supposed to be well, a stenographer for the hegemonic political faction. 
which is represented by Biden, but also could be represented yeah. by McCain or Mitt Romney. And he is supposed to not know about their misdeeds and how it relates to this extremely lucrative proxy war that they're waging. And it, th yeah. this is, I mean, this is like the He's a collaborator. He's know? a collaborator. And it's why people turn to us because we report that stuff. We just state it. We just put it out there and so many other alternative sites do it. It's why mainstream media is collapsing. Yeah. Why legacy media is collapsing. And the, I mean, the model is really based on people who don't want to know about the sort of centrist pro-war forces they support. Doing well, and that was really what the promise of the Biden presidency was, is that you like, you'll no longer have to pay attention to politics. That was really what it was about. Like you've had to spend the last four years being exhausted, trying to keep up with the Mueller investigation and this and that, uh, all these indictments. And it was just every day, it was some big thing. And you were, you were kind of obligated to care about it if you wanted to be, you know, a good liberal or whatever. And, you know, so the promise of Biden wasn't anything, you know, there was no vision there. It was just, well, it's, you know, you'll know, you can go back to brunch, right? And you can you can know you can just enjoy not paying attention to politics again. Yeah, and, democracy uh, dies in darkness, and now we're going to give you the darkness. <laughs> Welcome back, back to, to the darkness. Go back to brunch and uh, you know, nuclear fallout takes place. Look, we you you had you'll fun. have some nice black you rock shelters to like hide away in <laughs> black worry. rock there's some we'll, we'll send over the pods that we built for people in lahaina right uh, we'll, we'll, we'll rate we'll, we'll nuclear proof them so that that really just i haven't seen any exchange that perfectly distilled what the beltway press corps is but uh and how brittle to, they are props to Noam no. dorman by the way uh this is how funny. easily this, broken yeah, they they're are. easily broken. They they have this sense of inviability, and whenever you get in their face, uh, you know, when I got in Rachel Maddow's face, I was pounced on by armed guards who lifted me off my feet and threw me out of an auditorium because I started asking her about her lying about the Steele dossier. So she will never face any critics. There's no Q and A with them, right. and uh, they so they have to be heckled, or when they, I mean, it's so telling. Philip Bump had to be in front of a comedy guy to be questioned on this because no fellow journalist is going to break the rule, the 11th commandment of the Beltway Press Corps, which is don't challenge other reporters. And don't challenge the deep state, you know, don't, don't challenge, challenge them unless it's on some partisan community. thing. Yeah. On issues right. that concern the deep state, because you don't want to bite the hand that feeds you. Once you start doing that, you know, you get, castigated and you become Glenn Greenwald and they start writing nasty articles about you and you're not allowed to work anymore. So I remember uh, at the beginning of the proxy war, it was funny, the comedy seller invited me through some third party that puts on events to debate all these neocons like Julia Ioffe and um, Peter uh, Pomerantsev, who's like basically a spook. I mean, he's done stuff with the National Endowment for Democracy. He wrote the piece on the menace of unreality with the spook Michael Weiss on how um, basically people who have pro-Russian views need to be banned from media or completely censored. 
Um, and the, who, there was some other neocon who was going to be involved. And they said, you can bring it, you know, we're, it's two people against two people. And I said, all right, I want Scott Horton from the Libertarian Institute. And we'll present like two different views, kind of like a left anti-imperialist view and a libertarian view of re the reason not to sponsor this war and to negotiate. And then they, of course, canceled the event after at the last, because Julia Ioffe wasn't going to get on stage with us. That it was going to be like Philip Bump, but like on steroids. She was just going to be like bumped and bumped and bumped intellectually until there was nothing left of her because these people don't have a leg to stand on. They have to exist within this hermetically sealed, protected intellectual bubble in order for them to appear authoritative. And so, the, of course, they replaced me with who? Peter Beinart. Because he's always gonna he's gonna present some kind of like soft milk toast adversarial view without breaking the rules. Mm. Um, it's kind of what he always did with the ultra Zionists, right? So uh, Noam Dwarman actually apologized to me over that, but I don't. There hasn't there still hasn't been a debate. Maybe I should reach out to him and try to get one going at the co comedy cellar because I think most Americans yeah. want this charade to end. Well, it was, yeah, the challenge would just be finding anyone willing to do that with you, right? I mean, you, we, you, you're trying to have this dialogue with RFK, and that seems, you know, I hope it happens, uh, but it's just, yeah, I mean, RFK has said he will do it. He keeps saying it, and then his people say something else. I mean, it's not going to uh, happen. I, maybe I'll just show up at an event and force the issue, but uh, they don't, I think they did the Israel thing as like a one-off where he just lied and smeared Palestinians, slandered them. And then I don't know if it was transactional, but it's clear that they do not want to revisit the issue anymore. And they want to get away from you know, the issue of anti-Semitism. I think it really shook him up to be accused of anti-Semitism. And it seems like they're kind of moving away from COVID related issues as well. Um, and he's put forward some good ideas. Some of them are good sure. ideas on the middle class and, you know, um, cl uh, class issues in general. Um, but you know, what makes RFK special is that he's willing to speak out on issues that no one else will. So I hope he gets back to that. Um, yeah. wanted to cover one more, one more area. Let me see if I can actually find video of this. Cause I don't have any mm. video right now. Um, I, I, I pulled up this article. I don't know if you remember this in uh, 2017, the beginning of the Trump year, just just kind of uh, related to this, the intelligence community, as they call themselves, and, and the cozy relationship the journalists have with them that the political class has with them. I just remember in 2017, there was something that Chuck Schumer said on Rachel oh, yeah. Maddow's show that was just so revealing. Yeah, let me find that. Because Trump had said, um, had made a tweet. He said the intelligence briefing on so-called Russian hacking was delayed until Friday. Perhaps more time needed to build a case. Very strange. And for this, which is, you know, I, I think kind of a understandable, understandably sort of skeptical perspective. Um, Chuck Schumer said that Trump is being really dumb to do this. Those are his words. And he said, let me tell you, you take on the intelligence community, they have six ways from Sunday at getting back to you. So even yeah. for a practical, supposedly hard-nosed businessman, he's being really dumb to do this. Here it is. And uh, such a revealing interaction. 
statement, latest tweet, as you were just saying, President-elect's latest, latest yeah. unsolicited pronouncement on the intelligence community. This was his tweet just- Unsolicited. You see the scare quotes <laughs> unsolicited, there. The yeah. intelligence briefing yeah. on so-called Russian hacking was delayed until Friday, perhaps more time needed to build a case. Very strange. We're actually told, intelligence sources tell NBC News since this tweet has been posted, that actually this intelligence briefing for the president-elect was always planned for Friday. It hasn't been delayed. Okay. But he's, he's taking these Shots, this antagonism yep. is taunting to Who the told her that. How dare he? On the intelligence, yeah. they have six ways from Sunday at getting back at you. So, even mm. practical, supposedly hard nosed businessman, he's being really dumb to do this. What do you think the intelligence community would do if they were? I don't know, to... but I, from what I am told, they are very upset with how he has treated them and talked about them. And we need the intelligence community. We don't know what's going Look at the Russian hacking. We don't without know what the they're going to do because we wouldn't have not uh, discovered it. Do you and think we, he has an agenda? Without the intelligence community, we wouldn't thing? have discovered the Russian hacking that didn't happen. Yeah. Right? Like, they wouldn't. <laughs> without the intelligence community, no, there would have been no one to plant stories about this insane Russian hysteria that we need. Are going to use to destroy Trump, right? <laughs> yeah. But they're gonna they have so many ways to screw you and i don't know what they're gonna do they're just a community of people who are intelligent and we don't know what they're gonna do because they don't tell us but we're a and, democracy and she said you know since this tweet has come out the intelligence community has told me it's like who who what you know what official with what agency you're just referring to this bizarre nebulous group of of spooks and freaks and you know that's just like who are you talking about? Yeah. You know, you're it's just a community. Is it the CIA? Is it the NSA? Is it military intelligence? We don't know, but she does, and that should be good enough for us. So we need them. We need them. Liberal trust in the CIA skyrocketed under Trump and the FBI, and uh, it'll never be the same. So uh, let's let's um, pivot a little bit to another base of, uh, I guess you could call it like elite liberal hysteria and it's Black Rock City, Nevada, where uh, Burning Man was held. Right. I lived in LA in the early 2000s and I was just never, ever going to be convinced to go to Burning Man. Uh, but the, it, at that time it was still less commercialized. It wasn't just kind of like a vacation for uh, Hollywood people and the kind of uh, Silicon Valley urban cadre to impersonate uh, the to, to, to sort of imagine the future of a degrowth society after uh, you know nuclear war <laughs> but I just wasn't into it. it it just didn't appeal to me and over time, as I started to meet people in New York and elsewhere who were more elite than the hippie types, the creative types that I would know in LA who went, I realized it was becoming kind of a forum for the upper middle class, 20 and 30 something people who hadn't had kids and networking together, doing tons of Molly and, you know, basically consolidating themselves as a privileged class in the desert, but they weren't really camping out anymore. They were in these 
expensive RVs. They had Butler services and it was just basically disgusting. So I was never going to ever be interested in it, but increasingly I started to see it as like part of the problem. And now it's all kind of coming to the surface, bubbling to the surface, like these diseases we're starting to see emerge from the mud or what they call the playa. And one thing that took place at this year's Burning Man was war propaganda, because of course, of course, a 26 foot tall wooden box was set ablaze at the Burning Man Arts and Music Festival to reveal a secret monument hidden with, within, a giant steel phoenix representing the resilience of war-torn Ukraine. And uh, who put this on? Of course, we did. We did. The U.S. taxpayer. As Michael Tracy reported, these pro-Ukraine displays at Burning Man were straight-up state-run public relations operation. The head of the charity that organized it is a deputy defense minister of Ukraine. The charity specializes in funneling grenade launchers, mortars, drones into the war zone. Here they are. Come back alive. Your money is our weapon. Ukrainians are, invest over $2 billion Ukrainian dollars in the summer offensive. Um We'll have more reporting on this charity tomorrow, hopefully, from Alex Rubenstein. But I mean, this is there's your tax dollars at work putting on a sh uh, an effigy at Burning Man, and then and the, conservatives, the conservatives, yeah, and then it immediately is like a biblical flood. That, yeah. So the conservatives are going wild with this because the conservatives are basically God. saying God has punished them for that, right? Um, <laughs> satanic sacrifice <laughs> with a biblical flood that has ruined the whole festival which you know no big loss there obviously you know i i honestly i think it's pretty much the best thing that could happen to those people um short of like more severe injuries it's like <laughs> <laughs> well uh yeah there's uh there's one Tweet, I quote tweeted because I thought it was pretty uh, accurate about what Burning Man has become. And yeah, I understand it used to be cooler and like there was, these are different times. I mean, it's just like, this is from the barracks um, and I'll read it. It's just a, it's a, it's a playground for the hyper wealthy in the desert. That's what it is. Yeah. It's like a bunch of venture capitalists uh, dressing up like uh like the the um that meme of Montgomery Burns trying to be like a cool skater kid. Oh yeah, <laughs> the how do reason... you do fellow kids thing kind of. Yeah. Or uh, yeah. There's a couple. <laughs> yeah. The reason Burning Man exists is to allow the nation's most non-productive parasites in the upper class <laughs> to role play what life will be like for them as feudal elites in a post-apocalyptic America. This is the barracks. <sighs> This is why they push so hard for degrowth at the same time as they push for nuclear holocaust with Russia in order to live out their Mad Max style fantasies in real life permanently. The shelter in place order at Burning Man with 73,000 people stranded and hungry shows just how fragile these psychopathic dreams are and how useless and effeminate the laptop class really is. They're nothing more than children playing in mud. This is how they want the entire country to live. And we Jesus. saw that. I mean, they these are the people <laughs> that wanted everyone to be on lockdown forever. 
uh, because they love lockdown because the laptop class can live out their fantasy in their lives at home through their laptops while everyone else just brings them their groceries and their, their drugs. It's great for them. And they're right. Older, yeah. And they're, and have, and they're yeah, also have... like largely terrified. But just to have, uh, yeah, have to have the just like underclass of immigrants that, you know, comes and basically serves you and, you know, poor, poor people and minorities and just like, you know, that's who's going to come cater to you and they have to go out and, and, you know, you it's like, it's like servants. It's like almost like borderline, like it's new feudal form of slavery where it's just, you know, some people get to sit inside and have their DoorDash brought to them. Some people have to go do the DoorDash, but you never think about them. Just, you know, keep cl keep clattering away on your keyboard. And they all, and then, and then when they all gather, it's something that has to be sort of communally sanctioned within their class. For example, before, you know, whether it's Burning Man or a, a mass political protest, like when Black Lives Matter was declared by scientists and public health experts and epidemiologists to be legitimate during lockdown, it was because racism is the disease. And this was reported like with a serious face in the Washington Post. Um, but here's Neil Katyal. Neil Katyal is the guy who um, was a lawyer for child slavery. He argued that child slavery was okay on behalf of Cargill at the Supreme Court. And he's on CNN all the time predicting that Trump will immediately be jailed. Uh, he's predicted Trump will be jailed. I don't know how many times. It was an incredibly harrowing six mile hike at midnight through heavy and slippery mud, but he got out of Burning Man, never been before. And it was fantastic. Here he is. This is, <laughs> he's literally wearing a beanie. It's got a propeller on top. It's got a literal propeller. <laughs> he, this is the Mr. Burns meme. <laughs> oh, oh man, dude! I can't believe this is a dude. real person. I can't believe. And it's Black Rock act. City, the Supreme Court. Yeah. <laughs> Black Rock World. Right. And then here he is, supposedly hiking, but like not everyone had ways to get out once they did this supposed hike. Um, so here's a, um, a CNN broadcast. I just, I was watching it and I had to clip it out. Well, I didn't, I just filmed my TV because CNN doesn't put a lot of this online, but this really gets to the heart of the, the hierarchy within Burning Man. It's sort of like the hierarchy within the, the laptop class um, and shows how special exceptions are made for quote, important people. Sorry about the volume. Anyone from coming in or They're preventing out. anyone from getting in or going out. Though some festival goers have trucked on foot to reach main roads. Some festival goers have managed to meet main roads. And that includes Chris Rock and DJ Diplo. Here they are getting a ride from a, a fan. It's just a fan who that's who, who they said got them out is a fan. Man. After they hiked six miles, four miles. Does Chris Rock look like he just hiked four miles in the mud? Like when you're in thick mud, it's difficult to walk one mile. Right. 
does that story that story doesn't seem to make sense basically special exceptions were made everyone was given a stay in place order and then the celebrities were told you can go out they got the, jetted in and out you're the royalty and it was yeah the same thing happened with lockdowns too you're right it's like they got to like jet off immediately yeah. and the exceptions were made obviously um and everyone else had to to just shut down and not work and you know kind of starve unless you had a decent salary at the time yeah, Bill Gates never needed to get vaccinated because he flies around on private jets. Everyone else had to uh, because the the flights were demanding it. So uh, the, the the passport. So these guys, they're hovercraft elites who don't have to follow any rules because the entire system, I mean, this is an official stay in place order, is guaranteed to provide them them with privilege. And who are the people inside Burning Man? It's the people who serve them most directly by like working as key grips on their sets, uh, marketing, you know, their marketing specialists who are marketing their political campaigns or their uh, their shows or their editing. They're, they're the editors who, you know, edit the film together to make it coherent because the director often sucks in Hollywood. Um, I mean, that's and they, and they've just sat there and taken it and here's one of them we're going to see an interview with one of these people she also managed to leave burning man nice tattoos south carolina jillian good to see you with a smile on your face i love the whole like setup here like she's she's sort of kind of like sitting on the ground it's like you know we could be in a meditation circle with her she's got a tattoo sleeve kind of uh some moroccan style lamps behind her and, right. some, and some LPs. She, she, she's, she's a oh, cool, yeah. cool chick. She's hit. And she somehow got out. Here's how she got out. I don't know if you'll be able to hear. How did you get out? Um, it was kind of a crazy thing, but I, I hitched a ride with, um, with a, an ATV that was heading out um, that needed to get somebody more important than me out to the front. <laughs> so they needed to get someone more important than me out. So she's accepting the social hierarchy and she just managed to get a ride somehow. Right. She rode somebody's coattails and she also like sells out chris rock and diplo they had people bring in atvs right they didn't walk yeah i'm not sure if she was supposed to say that i don't know if she yeah. knew area uh they were willing to let me sit in the back and so um got her right oh. out to the main road and then when i got out there i immediately found a guy who was um towing a, a vehicle that had gotten some type of an accident and asked him if i could hop into the crashed vehicle on his trailer and catch a ride to wherever he was going. <laughs> and uh, he got me to Fernley, Nevada. And then from Fernley, I, I grabbed a. So that's Gillian Berger on. It's her eighth time at Burning Man. And I looked up her LinkedIn. She was uh, higher up on the Obama 2012 re-election campaign. And before that had been a major figure in Organizing for America, which was Obama's ground game. And now she's a marketing specialist. So exactly what the barracks said, uh, sort of right. non-productive economy person who has like a hipster presentation. And she talks about how they maintain high morale. I mean, in, instead of being angry that important people were allowed out, well, there's all these rumors about Ebola being spread and Diplo being patient zero of Ebola because he was involved in a a triple kiss the night ebola started to spread i don't even know if any of that's true <laughs> these were like <laughs> these are the rumors going around I mean, it's just a perfect, I just... 
the whole thing is just so amusing to me. It's just like you guys got exactly what was coming to you. And just, I, I can't, like, I, I just, I can barely even, it's just too funny to me, you know? And and this guy's, I was looking up this quote from Neil Katyal again. And so somebody apparently uh, with no eyes said, that outfit is amazing. And he said, he said, thank you. It was made by hashtag bourbon summer cartoon crisis, a brilliant designer. Somebody made that outfit for him. Somebody deliberately assembled all of those pieces together and he put it on oh intentionally, you know? It reminds gonna, me of- uh, Wait, wait, here's what he wore. Here's the designer. <laughs> it reminds me <laughs> of- uh, Behold that, crisis. Yeah. You didn't even like, make it. Like, people used to make their own stuff at Burning Man. Now it's just some like, what the hell? It's just yeah. some like goofball expensive. It reminds me of that stuff by that guy Wyatt Coke, the Coke son. Yeah, like, how much this costs. <laughs> much it's it? just, do uh, you, you remember that? The, the, $575 for a bomber jacket. Okay. That's what you get when you're arguing for child slavery for Cargill in front of the Supreme Court. Pays well. Hey, somebody's got to give those kids jobs making <laughs> incredibly ugly outfits. <laughs> those, those kids are making those outfits for Neil Katyal for right. like two cents an hour. Here. I mean, even Slate went after Neil Katyal for loving slavery, for supporting slavery. And and like, like I think even Clarence Thomas might have rejected his argument. Prominent anti-Trump attorney asked the Supreme Court to let ch companies off the hook for child slavery. Neil Katyal's legal theory on behalf of Nestle and Cargo may be too extreme even for this ultra-conservative court. Here he is making the argument without the... Um, what is it? Bourbon and, and spice cartoon. I wish he wore that to the, outfit. to the, I wish he'd been wearing that outfit when he, you know, deliberated when he, or when yeah. he spoke in public more often. Your honor, I, I would not have been able to fit in at gray zone with a beanie and a cartoon crisis bomber were it not for these brave children in Peru. And he can punctuate his points by spinning the propeller on his head. <laughs> <laughs> Does the Pope wear a beanie? Well, I do. <laughs> and Trump is going to jail on Tuesday. I said, this indictment will be the one. Burning Man. I mean, they're just, what these people, people are, a, they're a joke that tells itself, right? And, and they, I don't know, there is some segment of the American population that is like, thinks this is cool apparently, but I think the vast majority of people look at this and it's like, what the hell is going on? um it's just so impossible to relate to like you they just live in a fantasy land right they live I remember, in uh one of the final scenes in 1984 where um the protagonist's girlfriend is tortured by big brother and she has this fear of rats and they put her in a box filled with rats and that kind of breaks her and in the end he learns to live big brother and i was thinking like if you wanted to break me force me to be in a rv with these people in burning man right now 
I will learn to love Big Brother because that's like the last place I would want to be right now. Oh VCs and marketing specialists in the mud as they panic about Ebola and <laughs> use up the last of their drugs, obeying a stay in place order as their celeb overlords get to escape on ATVs. And it's a perfect microcosm of American disaster or crisis management. In many ways, it's what the same thing that happened in Lahaina, Hawaii. And we're going to have a later today, I'm hoping to have a documentary by Jeremy Lafredo from Lahaina up on our site. So look out for that. And we're going to interview him about it. Um, but what he shows is just the indigenous regular people of Lahaina. All their houses were burned down. All the prize properties were somehow spared. Well, and their children, their children were burned. You know, we don't even know. They believe thousands of people may have died. And the yeah. only people who lived jumped in the water or disobeyed official orders to like stay in place. They weren't warned. Well, it wasn't even disobeying orders to stay in place. The police were literally blockading the, ro the roads out of the city. They were stopping people. And the only people that made it were the ones that got out of their cars and fled on foot because yeah. they had to escape like a literal police robot supposedly because down power lines or something. This was kind of the official excuse for why they just kept people from fleeing and artificially created a massive traffic jam that was killed. I mean, we don't know how many people died because of that. We, we know from witnesses that the few who survived were the ones who got out of their cars and fled um, before they were engulfed in flames. And so every every part of this, from the top to the bottom, it should be a massive scandal. Do you remember yeah. after 9-11? I mean, it was, it was we didn't get, we, we're still not over 9-11, right? And it's a comparable death toll. Yeah. But because yep. it can't be used to justify invading seven countries, it's useless. So shut up about it. It happened. Get over it. Yeah. And it and, happened to people who don't actually really fit the they're not really americans according to the official narrative many of them describe themselves to jeremy as un involuntary americans that this country just imposed themselves on them imposed itself on them they're took calling. away all their rights to be independent took their land and they thought at least they would get some benefits out of it and now they're completely left out in the cold uh many of them are forced to live in <laughs> like pods Right. And their houses yeah. are going to be sold off to wealthy developers, their land. And they're already left moving with in. Nothing. These vultures didn't even give people a week. They're already hounding these people and calling them, trying to basically scoop up their property for, you know, I'm sure nowhere near what it's worth, but they're just taking advantage of vulnerable people that don't have any money now and don't have any livelihoods. And they're thinking, you know, we can just snatch it up off you because you don't, what else are you going to do? So we'll talk about that in more detail with Jeremy. I want to wrap it up here by just saying that thanks to you, we've been able to send Jeremy out to Lahaina to provide coverage that you'll you few other outlets will be able to, to provide. I mean, he he got in there and really got his ear close to the ground. Um, it's powerful. These interviews are extremely powerful, um, and they say so much. And we were able to send, have uh, Liam Cosgrove, who's our Washington reporter, report from the Republican debate. At the same time, we were able to have Anya Parampil report from BRICS, this historic gathering in South Africa. And uh, so we're able to cover major events with your help on a shoestring. 
while the rest of the networks that are covering it, they're offering nothing. I mean, they're participating in the cover-up that Philip Bump <laughs> you've perfectly embodied, where they're not really trying, they're trying to not get to the heart of the story. So thanks to you, thanks to what you've um, been able to donate to us at Spot Fund. Uh, we'll be able to keep doing this on a much greater scale well into the future. Um, so I just wanted to end this stream with a, a note of gratitude. And uh, thanks, Wyatt, for, for co-hosting. We're, we're going to have Aaron back soon. Um, but we'll keep featuring all our contributors. And look for Jeremy Lafredo's documentary on our YouTube channel, uh, Lahaina on Fire. It'll be up pretty soon. We just need to, to lay a few elements in and get it uploaded. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we are... Uh, getting close to our goal, I believe we have uh, um, over $120,000 in donations now. Um, we're trying to get to $150,000. Uh, we're getting close, and uh, you know every bit helps. Every bit that, counts. That's we for three journalists for the next two years. So, I mean, it's not a lot of money, even though it might sound like a lot, but it, it's not. But it, you know. It's enough for what we do, and we'll, uh, we'll right. do everything we can to be accountable to our audience instead of to billionaires in the arms industry and the elements that the rest of the media is accountable to. So I don't know if you have anything else to add. Uh, thank you, Orlando. Um, but uh, I'm ready to jump off here. Yeah. Uh, no, I just uh, – big. Thanks again to all of our supporters. Um, we wouldn't be able to do it without you guys. So thank you so much. Um, oh, and a shout out again to all the uh, trolls and haters that uh, basically helped get some more engagement for all of this as well. So uh, we don't like you guys as much, but we are grateful for what you do too. Obviously not quite as much as our actual supporters. <laughs> all right, we'll, we'll see you soon. And, um... Like this stream, subscribe, get us over the 300,000 mark. We'll be on Pacifica this week too, KPFK LA and WBAI New York. And we're also on Rockfin and Twitter. Peace, we're out.